Hello and welcome to Comedians Paradise. This is the podcast where we speak to lots of intriguing and fascinating comics from across the globe that will help comedians like you and me find our own niche and live the comedy journey in an interesting, unique manner. Now, today's guest is an absolute comedy genius all the way from New York. He's a man who's in many of the best comics in the world. He is released a recent special on youtube that you can watch and it's an absolute pleasure to get on this p- podcast here's the name of matt like matt leblanc the the friends actor he has the surname of ruby which is a very famous kaiser chief song please welcome matt ruby yay thanks for having me <laughs> did you did did you like my intro matt Loved it. I'm going to have to go find this Kaiser Chief song and give it a listen. I, I was unaware. It's it's not, it's quite, it's a, it's a song that sticks in my head. It's like the song goes, duh, 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 and then they go, Ruby, Ruby, Ruby. Ah. I'll keep it in mind. Yeah, there's a few Ruby songs out there. Most, probably most famously Ruby Tuesday by the Stones. But uh, yeah, I like that. The Matt LeBlanc, you know, I always take a, a Joey reference. How you doing? You know, like that's that's a classic. Who can who can fight with that? You know. But I did not like the the spinoff he produced. I thought that was I don't think poor. anyone did. I don't think it lasted very long. But you know, they they did their best to try to to milk that cow as much as they could. <laughs> and now Matt, Matt LeBonc became a presenter for the British uh, Top Gear and was crap. And that's all I remember of him. That's the only thing I remember of doing after since Friends. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't even know about that. That's tough when you're on one of those, you know, hit TV shows like for that long. It's tough to ever play any other role, I think, because the ever the world just constantly sees you as that guy. The, does would you say that's the case? But in stand up it's it's not it's not sort of like that, is it, in any way? No, I mean, I think just like a sitcom or a TV show where you're in someone's home like every week for like, you know, five to 10 years. It's just like now you're you are Walter White, you are Don (laughs) Draper, you are Joey, you are you just become that person. So you really got to work hard to kind of make people see you as someone else and imagine you in different roles. I think it can be done. It just seems to be fairly hard. I feel like a lot of like these TV people are on hit shows afterwards have a tough time ever finding uh, new roles that they can really sink their teeth into and that that get traction hmm. i mean yeah what's it called like kevin hart he's he's sort of playing the same characters all the time isn't he yeah i mean i uh, he's in like every other commercial on tv in america so i mean i feel like that's mostly how i know him now <laughs> is is he exactly like you see him on tv or is uh, is this an nda i can't say what he's like off stage <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've never really hung out with him off stage, so I, I can't say for sure. But he seems to be a fairly consistent guy. I imagine like he seems pretty much the same in all aspects of his life. Hmm. Is that, I mean, you, you're like a big, you're sort of comic in New York as a whole. Sort of, they, they say that comedy started in New York. And there's so many sort of things that I hear from people. Like in the UK, comedy started from folk clubs. But I never quite, like, I had a few Americans on the podcast, but I never quite got onto, a, like, how it all started. All I hear is people say, stand-up comedy started in New York. Yeah, I mean, I don't know a ton about the history. There's a guy named uh, Cliff Nesteroff, who I think has written a lot about, like, sort of the history of stand-up and stuff, and it has a book out that probably could explain it better than I can. But, yeah, I think it was probably in 
you know, the fifties, uh, you know, in that coffee shop scene as the folk music scene was coming up and coffee shop stuff and people started, um, performing jokes and, uh, you know, sort of like whatever was happening in the, the cat skills, that sort of Borscht Belt comedy came, it was sort of how it bubbled up. And then you had people like Lenny Bruce and Mort Saul and, um, you know, kind of taking it to a next level. And then after that, I think, you know, Carlin and Pryor and people like that really blew it up into more of a mainstream thing. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, it is a very like New York, you know, American sort of like iconic thing that I think bubbled up, you know, around that era in like the fifties and sixties, and then kind of has spread ever since all, all over the place. Mm. It's so did, did you sort of start off all the way? I'm, you, I'm getting the feeling that you're someone that started in comedy in New York and you you sort of went through it and you got to the place you are in now. Or yes, you like that is foreigner? accurate. No, no, I began comedy in New York City, which I don't know if I necessarily advise. I think there's something to be said for starting somewhere a little bit smaller and, and getting getting some reps there and then coming to New York. But no, I, I began here and yeah, it's a, it's a, been an interesting adventure. <laughs> Yeah, I spoke to what's it called Nico White in a podcast, and like mm -hmm. he's he, when I spoke to him, he's he's a beast man. Like he's like so so smart and analytical, and like the the amount of work you can tell he puts in, you can see he's, he deserves to be where he is. Yeah, Nico's great. And I mean, I've read both of the articles. Like you're you're famous as well as the other guy is for writing two sort of Reddit articles that went viral. Oh yeah. <laughs> what what was what? So the the famous article in stand up is what's it called? Hustle culture is killing comedy. And you saw that article and you were like, No, listen up. If you don't put the work in, you don't get the results. <laughs> yeah, I think there's truth to that. I mean, I think, you know, we all wish we could like be on vacation all the time and, and just sort of relax into stuff, but like I'm just telling you what I'm seeing, which is the people who are the best at it are the ones who work the hardest. And uh, you know, that there's if you don't want to work hard, there's a hundred people lined up behind you who are willing to make those sacrifices. And um, yeah, I think it's similar to, you know, it's also, it's like, are you trying to just have a hobby or be, you know, average? Or are you trying to be like, you, are you pursuing greatness? Cause then I think you get into the realm of like, you know, an athlete who wants to be great or, you know, someone who's trying to win an Olympic gold medal. It's like, you don't, you don't really get to just train when you feel like it, you've got to be doing your reps all the time. So I think kind of, if you want to be great at anything, I think there's, you know, it's going to be directly tied to how hard you work at it. I mean, I think that said, there's also, you need to stay sane, you need to have a life. So you have something to talk about on stage, and you need to do whatever it takes to make it sustainable. If you want to have a career, I think that, you know, a lot of people burn out or, or don't last too long because of that. So I think you also, you know, I think you need to work hard when when you're trying to make stuff. But I think you also have to figure out some way to keep it sustainable over, you know, decades, if if you want to have a career doing it for that long is what what you're saying effectively challenge yourself and making yourself uncomfortable and taking chances and pushing yourself is that what you get i mean i think that's part of it too i think you know just working hard i don't i, don't, I guess i don't know if working hard necessarily means being uncomfortable um i think it's just finding finding a way for you to make stuff sustainable and and be able to do it over and over again i do think you know within the context of performing and writing new material you do have to take chances and you do you know there you know sometimes you're going to bomb but you know that's part of the process you know and so i i, I think there's also value in being willing to put yourself in like 
places that aren't always comfortable or, or stretching stretching your uh, your comfort zone. But uh, I, th- I think they're all sort of uh, related together in different ways. I so one thing that I found I I've seen the people that I've seen really get far ahead are definitely sort of the hustlers, but also people that are very sort of likable and good at people. I think yeah. And they, what's the thing that I've noticed? Some people, but they're not necessarily, it's not always been the ones that have been the absolute funniest. Like there's some incredible comics that I come across where I look at them, quite a few of them, and I'm looking at them and like, you're, you're bloody incredible. You're bloody amazingly good at it, but they don't put any work in or bother with it. Like I'll see them every time get on stage completely crushed, but they don't bother to smooth or get out there. But you see ones that are in between and like, they're good, but they hustle, they go out there, they network, and they're very clever in what they do, and they get very far ahead. Like, what's it called? Uncle Roger. He is very good. He's good at what he does, but he's definitely not the best that I've seen. I've seen so many people be way more talented than But when I speak to him, I see him. He's very smart in what he does. He was a lot of working, and that's why he is where he is today. Yeah, I think definitely like who you know is important in all kinds of industries, not just comedy, but like, yeah, I think it's. Uh... We don't have like an HR department or a hierarchy or some like natural, like uh, like flow for how a career is supposed to go. So it definitely helps to you know have a network of people and and uh, an alliance or a, a tribe or whatever word you want to use of like you know uh, people who are who you're going through it together and and can help each other. I think definitely helps. And then if you're talking about like uh, social media stuff, yeah, I think that's you know then it helps too to have. Like if you come out with a special to have other people help promote it and get the word out and things like that, obviously that's helpful. Um, and then even, you know, doing podcasts and, you know, having guesting on other people's and having people on yours and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think, you know, all that stuff can, can help uh, careers grow together, you know, um, in a way that's obviously nice. But so with you being sort of on the New York scene, what are some sort of situations where you've been wowed by someone's work? Like they've shown little things that have been like, my God, you really did that to go and get that bit? And then you saw the payoff of it. I mean, I think, you know, there's some people who, you know, routinely are are doing like four or five sets a night and running all over the city and, uh, you know, or or on the road, you know, 40 weekends out of a year or things like that, which I think is like... uh, to me, just like an impressive level of dedication to, you know, it's really, you're, you're turning your life over to stand up completely. And, you know, I think, uh, yeah, you can see the results when, when people are really immersed like that. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, probably just the, the amount of stage time, you know, some people are, are pursuing and getting is, is the thing that impresses me most. Well, one of the things, so I went to, I think this was around four, five or six years ago. I went to the New York comedy scene and I did a lot of the mics over there. They were, I mean, one thing in London I found in the mics, you get maybe 10 people there. But in New York, in each mic, it felt like you'd get bloody 20 or 30 people in there. <laughs> and one of the things I found about it, it was, it's very brutal and like your material has to be. I mean, it, it, it's it, there were very few that stuck stuck out in each of the ones. Like I'd see twenty people do pretty shit, and then one that would do well. But it does 
there's plenty this is going to be something that i'm going to explain quite in detail but one thing i've noticed in places like singapore or like malaysia because it's a newer scene they gain access quicker to tougher rooms and maybe they're forced to learn how to play different rooms to a certain level but if because it takes so long to get a certain point does it is this because i noticed in new york all the gigs are just the comedians whilst a lot of comedy shows in london there are ones with audiences but there's a lot of bringer gigs um what am i saying here the thing you've got to get to a certain level in new york to get those opportunities but how much of it is you need those opportunities to get better well i mean you definitely need opportunities to get better you need stage time you need to get in front of real people uh open mics in new york city are particularly brutal i'd say like elsewhere in america there's a you can go do open mics that do have like real audience members and could be more of like feel like a quote-unquote real show i think in new york you do have it's you i mean i haven't i haven't done open mics in a while but at least when i was doing them it's definitely like you know a bunch of jaded you know open mic comedians who don't really feel like laughing and don't even feel like paying attention and so you gotta you're really just sort of uh you know it's a it's a tough crowd to get anything out of so i think your 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 main goal is to get in front of real people as soon as you can in any way you can whether it's like producing your own show or doing something else so you're not um just relying on like a bunch of jaded comedians because also sometimes a joke will work in a room full of comedians that uh when you do it in front of real people is not going to fly at all so you gotta you gotta try to try to gauge your material from like the kind of audience that you're trying to hit but yeah what would you say is the right balance of that of being like being toughened up to it and being ready to play the big rooms but also making sure you're performing with real audiences i mean i'd say get in front of real audiences as soon as you can and as much as you can i think uh you know uh, mics are great for like you know sort of like you know I, I guess when i started out doing mics in new york it was like okay uh there was like a circuit of different ones you could do on different nights of the week you try to write like five new minutes a week and go out and do that material you hope to get like maybe one one good bit or something out of it and then you try to get on a book show that has a real audience then do that material you know the best of that material that you've been working on and so the mics was a good workshop also it was a good way to meet other people like kind of like what you were saying before sort of like i think that's sometimes people have this mistaken idea that they need to like find someone who's like way far ahead of them and try to be buddy buddy with them or kiss their ass or something whereas like really sometimes i think the best value is like finding the other people who are at you know the same level or a little bit ahead of you who you think are talented or dedicated and trying to you know bond together with them and and you know kind of rise up together and i think mics can be valuable in that way for finding the other people who are serious or who you think have potential and trying to you know um grow alongside them so i think it could be valuable in that way but yeah. And also I think it's like New York is a special animal. So I, I can only speak to the experience I've had here, whereas in other places it, it might be fine to, you know, just be sticking on the mic circuit for a while. And, and, you know, I think, I think every, you know, everyone's got their own path and every place probably has a, a different yeah. path yeah. that works best. What What have you found? How does New York prepare you for other gigs in other parts of the country, as opposed to any other city? I mean, the nice thing here is like, especially if you're doing clubs in New York, there's a lot of tourists there. So it's almost a little bit of like a preview of what it's like to be on the road because, you know, you could do a show where there's 
you know, some New Yorkers and some people from California and some from Tennessee. And they're, you know, you're, you're just kind of trying to find what's relatable to all of them. So I think um, New York definitely helps you out in that way. Um, and then I just think, uh, you know, it's so competitive here that, you know, uh, you've got to bring your A game. You've got to like write jokes. You've got to have material. And I think, um, you know, the best comedians in the world are here in New York. And so if you can hold your own, you know, on a showcase show with five other like top notch New York comedians, then then when you do go somewhere else to you know perform, usually you feel like you're you've got that confidence and you know you're going to be able to to bring a high level quality show in a way that like, you know, you know, people from other cities aren't always able to do, I guess. What's, what's been a situation that's really amazed you recently where you've seen like a comic bomb for like five minutes, they've been able to re 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 like, um, turn it around into something incredible. Cause I heard a story about Russell Hicks where he was bombing for 10 minutes. But he, for the rest of the 10 minutes, he won them over and had a storming set. Yeah, I don't know if I have any recent memory of someone turning a bomb around. Um, I mean, I, I think the the funniest quote unquote bomb set I saw recently was a uh, it was at a new room that I'd never been to before. And the comic before me went on stage and within a minute he was like, furious at this whole table for just like looking at their phones he's like we're doing a show here i can't believe you're all looking at your phones and he's like this is ridiculous and after two minutes he just walked off stage and i was <laughs> on, and i was on next and uh, i went up and i was like yeah what's going on with all the phone stuff and they were like there was like the qr codes on the table and the only way they could order was via the qr code <laughs> and so they were just like doing what the venue had told them to do which is obviously like a bad match for comedy like so clearly someone had thought out <laughs> how to do the show but to me it was just amusing to have this comedian be like what the what the hell are you guys doing just all in your phones it's so lame and then them being like uh it's the only way for us to order a drink we don't know how else what else we're supposed to do so uh a qr casualty i guess <laughs> but I mean, they, they're great. They're great. I mean, for the for the Edinburgh shows, I'm definitely using them. I mean, if I want it's, it make, make things give people a, it's like with trying to have sex, give people and make it enough easier for them to make an excuse to do it. I mean, I guess I'm a fan, I don't of, pa I'm a fan <laughs> of paper menus if I can get one like any anytime I, I, I prefer to not look at my phone and not use my phone. And so when people are like, you must take out your phone and it's the only way to interact with me, I'm like, well, all right, I, I prefer humanity if we're still allowed to do that. <laughs> but I do. I, I loved I loved all the QR things I had. Um, what's it called? A comic called Jeff Joe and like he come in and straight away after after they get gigged a few times, straight away he gets the pop, what's that thing called, the pop thing, where they have the little circle at the back where you get lots of followers. I don't know. But yeah, he was really pushing for people to follow him, whilst the rest of us were just sat down there, just chilling, not really going out there. But he's like, yeah, that's, I, I see that a lot with a lot of American comics that come over to, to London, like you, straight away you're out there. It's a good idea. I got to get on that. I need a QR code. <laughs> it's is there I heard from like clans that I know in New York that there's a there's a clat like from Nico told me that there's lots of different kind of rooms like there's the black rooms, the Latin rooms, there's the mainstream rooms. But I also heard from like 
clowns that there's a there's an alternative circuit that's building up in new york is that am i right in hearing that yeah there's all kinds of stuff i think you know you get a little bit more of that in brooklyn there's a bunch of like alt shows or whatever you want to call them um at smaller rooms there's a bunch of bar shows and then you have the clubs so yeah there's there's definitely a, a wide range of uh, types of venues is is if you're an alternative act and but you're funny but all you're doing is i don't know doing a kite impression would that likely if you're honest being honest affect your bookability at certain places in new york yeah i mean i think you know if you're doing a kite impression and you're just up at like you know <laughs> a, a comedy club in front of a bunch of tourists they're gonna be like what the hell is this and also, if you're like, you know, some guy who just does crowd work with like tourists and then you go to like some hip Brooklyn room that probably that probably wouldn't go well either. So it's sort of, you know, finding your right audience, I guess. You know, not not everyone needs to be right for every room at every time. You know, I think there's also something to be said for like, hey, this is what I do. This is the kind of crowd I'm trying to hit. That's not the right space for me. And, and knowing that, too, you know has there been a moment where you've seen a comic and you're like how the fuck did this work but it's brilliant like someone did something completely ridiculous i don't know as you said do a kite impression but like it was brilliant and it completely killed um yeah i mean there's a great like late night set that nick vaderat did years ago that uh <laughs> uh where he pulls out this giant set list and uh i remember seeing him work on it like in in at small bar shows and stuff and he'd he'd just pull out this like you know, 10 foot tall, you know, he acts in the middle of his set, like he forgot what to do next. And he pulls out like a 10 foot tall set list that like helps make sense of everything else he had done at that point. And like, to me, that was, you know, just like a really creative kind of um, different take on, on what you can bring to stand up. Uh, Brent Weinbach's a guy who does lots of cool stuff um, in that vein too. So I think there used to be a little bit more bandwidth for like weird, weird stand up and character based stuff and things that were a little, more out there it seems like there's been a little bit of a compression of now people it feels like there's more of like everyone's doing sort of more of like the standard type you know comedy you know and there's less of, less of that weird stuff going on but i also think it's out there you just might have to search it out more hmm. so can i show you a little clip and i want to see your thoughts in it sure Do you have any gong shows in New York? So this is so it's, it's this is a famous uh, comedy show in London where they get but this is what he does. That's all he did, but he, he just stormed it. That's all he, so 
there's a there's a famous notorious uh, show in London called the King Gong Show, where comedians compete, try and do five minutes without getting gonged off by uh, the audience, and three audience members get cards that they have to lift up, and nearly every nearly every comment I've seen that has done well in that. I've done sort of short one-liners whilst he just did that and he completely stormed it. It's, yeah, it was incredible to see. (laughs) (laughs) What are your thoughts on that, what you saw there? I mean, I think it's funny. I mean, also it's like when you're doing a gong show type thing, it's already (laughs) like a gimmicky sort of... uh uh i don't know like the entire framework is is shifted of like okay what what can you do in 30 seconds or whatever that's really going to grab them so you know i think that's a, a creative interesting sort of slapsticky way to approach it um so yeah i mean i'd be curious like i don't know what else he does or if he has jokes or other material stick <laughs> but like within the the context of what you just showed me sure that, that's fun why not <laughs> one of the one of the things that I found, I went to the Comedy Cellar uh, a while ago, and it was it was bloody incredible. I saw uh, Andrew Schultz do his. Yep. Me- He's got that famous routine about um, building the pyramids. Mm-hmm. That was absolutely amazing. And one thing I found quite interesting about being in the Comedy Cellar was at the end of the show, they. You didn't pay for a ticket, but you had to pay at the end of the show. And I was just thinking, you know, if I brought in 20 people with me, and if, I, if it was a big gang, we could maybe force our way out without paying. <laughs> well, they don't they don't let uh, groups of 20 in together. So that'd be, <laughs> uh, that'd be your uh, foil, your plan. Oh, and damn, also, damn. <laughs> also, they got some pretty big security guys there. So I don't know if I'd want to get on their wrong side. <laughs> they, they might be onto you. Someone might have tried this. Damn before. it. Oh, oh God. <laughs> but what's 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 it? What has your being experience like? Like, do you have any insider gossip of the comedy cell as a whole, as an outsider? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the best comedy club in the world. It's, uh, you know, I think a big part of it is like the audiences are really excited to be there. So that creates like a really uh, fun, like energetic di- dynamic. Um, you And as a comedian, there's a lot of pressure on you to like bring your A game. You don't want to like just phone it in when you're there or, or you know, putts around. You're there to like, do your best material and and kill as much as you can and uh yeah i mean i think it's uh it's always a good vibe there and like uh, i i think from a comedian perspective it's also like always a great hang you know because you can like just sort of chill in the the upstairs restaurant or around the corner and like kind of have some drinks with other comics so i think um from a comedian perspective that's a big part of it too if it's like kind of like a a meeting place and somewhere to go where you're gonna you're gonna know a bunch of people all the time is so what's what's the table with with all the big names like with Lewis CK and what's it called they they talk about the famous table with Patrice O'Neill Bill yeah. Burr and yeah it's just a table upstairs at Olive Tree <laughs> in the back where comics sit you know it's not it's not like a magical table it's not a <laughs> Uh, so who's who's Sir Arthur? What what is the guy's name with the <laughs> the sword you got to pull out? There's no there's no uh, magic to the actual table. It's just like a place where good comedians gather and shoot the shit. So um, that's that's the fun part about it. <laughs> what's what what's been 
what would be your what has been the maddest thing you've seen at the cellar hmm. um hmm. i guess uh russell crowe was at one of my my shows and so that was fun to meet him afterwards so i don't know if that counts as mad but you know um yeah, I think sometimes just in the crowd, there's like people you recognize or athletes or something like that. So I think just sometimes that can be like an interesting dynamic. Um, but I don't know. I think I'm usually in like, you know, stand up mode. I'm there to tell jokes and do my job. And, you know, that's I'm just more focused on that. And like, you know, sometimes it'll it'll just be crazy. Like who shows up? Like there was, you know, one show where it was like chris rock and amy schumer and jerry seinfeld and dave chappelle and you're like this is insane that all these people <laughs> showed up on like one show like and imagine these people who just bought tickets to a random comedy show and, and got that <laughs> as a surprise so i think just sometimes that that element can be uh uh some something you forget how weird that is if you're there were you in between? Were you in between, like Amy Schumer? No, no, I, I was. <laughs> I was on a different show. It was just uh, noteworthy that all of them showed up to do the same show. <laughs> hmm. What? What's? What's something that? So you get a lot of comics from all of the world coming to New York, but what's something that maybe irritates you about comics coming in from outside and their sort of assumptions of New York as a whole? What's what's an assumption about New York that you think's what the where did you get this from? Apart from everything I've said now, but <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe it's just might be more of like if people come in and like there's sort of material that we think of as hack, like making fun of the subway announcer or you know things like that. That like as a New York comic, you kind of have heard a ton of times before, so you're like, okay, stay away from this. But then sometimes people will come in from from other places and be like, oh, I've got a fresh take on, on this subway joke. And you're like, <laughs> do, do you? Because there's been a lot of takes on this already. So I think maybe that can be something that, that occasionally gets people into trouble. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, um, overall though, I mean, it's like usually I, to me, it's interesting sometimes when it's like some comedian who you don't know at all and you're watching them. And then like afterwards you find out like, oh, this guy's got like 800,000 like followers in Brazil or india or somewhere else and you didn't even know that he's like some huge person where he comes from but he's just here in new york trying to like you know i don't want to say start over from scratch but like you know do whatever he does back home here and, and see how that goes so i think that could be like an interesting dynamic for sure hmm. yeah it's it's incredible isn't it it's and what's 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 been something that's what's been the funny instance that you've seen with someone from another country coming to New York? <laughs> um, I don't know if there's like, like uh, Gad El Male, who's from France is interesting because he's like plays arenas and stuff, uh, you know, in France and coming to New York and, you know, just performing in a small club. And I, I think it's just interesting to see that dynamic. Um, and, you know, English obviously isn't his first language and he's trying to do stand up in English and, and, just seeing someone who clearly is like talented and a huge star where he comes from come over and try to make that transition, I think was interesting. And, you know, you can 
uh also how much like so he's someone who's a very gifted physical performer too so watching someone like that be like okay maybe i don't speak this language perfectly but like i'll lean even more on the physicality of my performance and trying to get laughs through you know um you know my my body language and act outs and things like that so i, I think that was you know something that stuck with me in, in my head hmm. yeah and what what so you've gigged in sort of different parts of the world and you said you gigged a little bit in london for a while did you notice any sort of differences between what the audience is like in london and new york from your short stays yeah i mean i i think there's it's sort of a joke by joke basis i don't know if i was like oh in london they love relationship <laughs> material and in new york they love political material or something like that i, I think um it just more reveals sort of like what stuff you have that's like universal and uh, relatable to anyone in any culture versus like, oh, this joke is relying on some specific cultural reference that's like Americans are going to know about, but they're not going to know about, you know, somewhere else. And I, I think just sometimes that's what's revealed when you're performing in other in other countries um, is just sort of like, oh, right. You, you don't know what I'm talking about right now. So like just sort of uh, but sometimes you you don't even you don't even realize it until you're in the middle of a bit and you can kind of just tell the audience doesn't even know really what you're referring to. And you're like, Oh yeah, that's a pretty American thing. Got it. Okay. So I think the more you can perform overseas, the more you probably figure that out. And for anyone that's sort of looking at the podcast now and they want to find out about Ruby, what would be a unique piece of advice you would give to any comic looking to start now? Um, well, I think what you can do with social media now is, is so crazy and opens up. Yeah. I, I, I think if you want to be a great comedian, the, the path that, you know, everyone was doing, you know, five, 10 or 15 years ago, I think still applies of getting on stage and performing as much as you can. I do think now what you can do on social media is like bypass so much of, um, the gatekeepers and like industry stuff and just sort of connect directly with an audience that likes your stuff so i think just being creative with what you do there and and just sort of using that as a testing ground of like okay what what's hitting what's working what what is you know sort of like letting an audience tell you what what's the right stuff for you to be producing because you know i, I think that can be uh in the beginning stages challenging when it's tough to find an audience for your live sets like i think trying to make more stuff on social media can be a good way to kind of throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks and if you were to start your comedy journey now is there anything that you've changed from the past that you would have changed if you were to start now hmm i mean i think uh podcasting earlier i think get i think you just sort of see how people who moved quickly and were first movers on sort of new technology and new things that were coming up really, really reap the benefits of that. So I think being more willing to dive into new stuff right away to, to find an audience would probably be good. I also think uh, I can, I can personally, I can be like a little bit of a lone wolf who's like doing my own thing. And so I think the more, uh, you know, the more effort I could have put in or continue to put into like, you know, just sort of like uh, supporting the comedians around me who I enjoy and, and, uh, am you know, friendly with and, and trying to, uh, be more connected. So you're, you're part of a community, I think, uh, is a valuable thing. Okay. And for anyone that's sort of looking, listening, and they want to find out about what you're about, where do they find out about you? Do they find out about you on eBay? 
on Amazon. Where do they find out about you? I mean, I guess you could check my eBay past purchases. That seems like a strange way to do it. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, mattrubycomedy.com has like all my stuff. I've got a new special called Substance, which is on YouTube. If you go to YouTube slash Matt Ruby, it's a special where I perform four sets, one high, one drunk, one on shrooms and one sober with documentary stuff leading up to each one of those sets and it gets pretty wild and is uh that just came out a few weeks ago and is doing great and getting good feedback so uh and then i also have another special before that called feels like matt ruby um which is also on youtube and a couple albums you can listen to and uh, uh i have a couple newsletters that i write uh called one called the rubes letter and one called funny how and the rubes letter is like essays and jokes and videos and Funny how is more about like the craft of stand up. So if your audience has like aspiring stand up comedians, that can be a good newsletter to check out. So that's mattruby.substack.com or funnyhow.substack.com. And you just go to mattrubycomedy.com and you can find links to all that stuff. And I'm going to ask one little question. With the funny how, what do you look at? Do you look at the set structure, like how they act, like the fixed points, the body language? the gestures, the tonations? I mean, it's it's not really like necessarily like evaluating a comedian set in that way. It's more sort of like uh, the craft of comedy, like how does Jerry Seinfeld write or, you know, what did, what did Chris Rock okay. say in an interview about like how important it is to listen to the audience or, you know, what's what's the right way to craft a set according to, you know, some some you know famous comedian or here's here's how norm mcdonald tells a joke so sort of i guess looking at comedians yeah. who i you know find inspirational or people who are like kind of masters of the craft and like looking at them and how they do stuff and what can you learn from it as a you know younger comedian Inspiring comic, yeah breaking down the science behind it a little bit yeah oh well you've heard about matt ruby you know where to find out about him and if you like this episode, share it with your friends. If you didn't, make sure this episode is out of your existence. Don't tell anyone. Don't leave any reviews. This didn't exist, all right?